Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of the Ministry Watch Extra podcast. Today, I'm going to take a look at PEPFAR, the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief. A lot of Christian ministries get money from PEPFAR, and it's up for reauthorization this year, which is why I thought it was a good time to take a look at it. By the way, this uh, episode is based on an article I wrote called, Should the U.S. Reauthorize PEPFAR? Ministries benefit financially, but some evangelicals question their two-decade support of the program. I published that article uh, over the weekend, and I'll have a link to it in today's show notes. In 2003, the United States made a five-year, $15 billion commitment to PEPFAR, the President's Emergency Plan for Age Relief. Fast forward to this year, 2023, it's the 20th anniversary of PEPFAR, and total U.S. spending for PEPFAR now exceeds $85 billion. This year comes the debate about whether PEPFAR should be reauthorized, and that reauthorization has met with some new resistance. Evangelical groups, such as the Family Research Council, and conservative groups, such as the Heritage Foundation, are opposing reauthorization. Their concerns are many, but among them, they say PEPFAR funds liberal social causes overseas, uh, such as providing money for abortion providers. Now, this resistance is a bit of a surprise since PEPFAR has been something of a cause celeb among evangelicals, as a 2019 Christianity Today news story noted. Many, no doubt, have supported PEPFAR from a position of conscience and conviction, but it is impossible to rule out another reason for evangelical support for PEPFAR. Evangelical groups have been a significant recipient of PEPFAR funds. Given PEPFAR's Byzantine public disclosure records, it is nearly impossible to know precisely how much of the $85 billion has gone to Christian organizations, including World Vision, World Relief, and Food for the Hungry. But all three of these organizations, plus many others, do receive enough funding to now have permanent full-time departments dedicated to the administration of PEPFAR funds. This massive outpouring of federal dollars means the financial health of these Christian ministries and the continued funding by PEPFAR and other federal programs have become somewhat intertwined. In fact, according to the Center for Public Integrity, in 2005 alone, just a couple of years after PEPFAR started, World Vision received more than $240 million in federal funds, including about $12 million from PEPFAR alone. It is, of course, possible to find stories of people who have been helped by PEPFAR. After all, $85 billion is a huge amount of money. And even if most of it is wasted, and I'm not saying it is, but even if it was, it is bound to produce some good. If you are looking for stories about the good PEPFAR has done, you need to look no further than PEPFAR itself. PEPFAR has funded its own public relations machine. For example, a 2019 movie called 27 Million Lives was paid for by a consortium of organizations that 
receive PEPFAR funds. But it's likely that 20 million lives saved, as the movie claims, is a wild overstatement. In fact, not even official accounts of PEPFAR use that number. A recent Christianity Today interview with Deborah Burtz, a former director of PEPFAR, did claim 25 million lives. But even that number is suspect. A close look at Uganda shows just how suspect. Uganda was devastated by AIDS in the 1980s. Millions of people died. And according to a 2006 study, by 1991, nearly 15% of the country's adult population was HIV positive. But long before PEPFAR came along, Uganda was solving its own problems. In Uganda, Christian ministries, Uganda's indigenous Christian church, and the leadership of Janet Mosavini, the evangelical Christian wife of the country's president, were already making a difference. The country pioneered a program that promoted sexual abstinence, a program that pushed down the rate of new AIDS cases by as much as 80%. And the prevalence of AIDS fell from the early 90s highs to less than 5% of the population. By the time PEPFAR money started coming into Uganda, AIDS prevalence was already less than half what it was in 1990. This phenomenon was happening in other countries, too. In South Africa, for example, the number of new AIDS cases started declining in 1998, a full five years before PEPFAR. Life expectancy, which had plummeted in the late 80s and early 90s in Uganda and other countries in sub-Saharan Africa, started rising again by the mid-90s. Again, that was well before the authorization of PEPFAR. But perhaps the most troubling argument against PEPFAR is that it likely distorted the healthcare system in the countries that were receiving funds to the point that other needs in that country were being unaddressed. For example, one analysis published by Foreign Affairs magazine found that regions receiving PEPFAR funds could pay their health professionals as much as 100 times more than non-PEPFAR funded programs. The result was a brain drain from other vital public health and medical programs and facilities, a brain drain that almost certainly cost many lives. One example of how this diversion of funds, talent, and attention uh, costs lives is the global resurgence of diseases that we previously thought had been eradicated, or nearly so, such as tuberculosis, polio, and malaria. In fact, it may surprise you to discover that malaria and not AIDS was the most prolific killer of humans in the 20th century, resulting in the deaths of more than 100 million people in the first half of the century alone, and another 50 million people in the second half, that according to the World Health Organization. Even today, the WHO says malaria kills between 300,000 and 1 million people every year. The direct cost of treatment to people with malaria exceeds $12 billion a year. 
lost productivity is likely two or three times that number. In 2016, a year in which the U.S. spent about $32 billion on AIDS, the spending of the United States and all other countries combined for malaria was less than $5 billion. In other words, we spend less on malaria than we would save by eradicating the disease, which of course now we know how to do. My concern for these questions began when I made a reporting trip to India back in 2003, the same year that PEPFAR legislation became law. And I was there to write about the AIDS crisis in India. Now, conventional wisdom back then was that if the AIDS rate in India increased beyond what was then the current level, it would pass a tipping point and there would be no stopping it. That fear was, in fact, a major impetus for PEPFAR itself. But a strange thing happened in India. AIDS in India dialed back at rates that equaled or exceeded countries that received PEPFAR money. AIDS cases peaked in 1995 in India. Deaths peaked in around 2003, again, before PEPFAR. The timing of these peaks and subsequent declines further debunks a claim of PEPFAR supporters that even countries that didn't receive PEPFAR funds, like India, benefited because PEPFAR funding allowed for the production and distribution of antiretroviral drugs. But India accomplished a dramatic reduction in new AIDS cases and AIDS deaths because of a three-legged stool, a free enterprise, the private sector development of new drugs funded by market demand and venture capital, private charity, and the responsibility the government of India took for its own people, a sense of responsibility that some say was undermined by PEPFAR in African countries. It is impossible to say that PEPFAR did no good. But we should ask, at what cost? And not just in dollars, but in human lives that can't be easily counted. So the questions arising about the reauthorization of PEPFAR are, in my view, more than justified. Let's give PEPFAR credit for its modest, though costly, benefits. But we should be clear-eyed about cause and effect and not cloud the truth by giving extra credit where no credit is due. Thanks for listening to today's extra episode. I'm Warren Smith, and the producers for today's program are Rich Rosell and Jeff McIntosh. We get technical database and editorial support from Stephen DeBerry, Casey Suddeth, Kim Roberts, and Christina Darnell. Until next time, may God bless you.